You're listening to iResearch Matters, the Fight for Sight podcast, exploring the personal stories of those living with sight loss and the latest breakthroughs in iResearch. I'm Roisin Tracy and I'm the Senior Media and Communications Officer at Fight for Sight. These past six months have seen a huge disruption to everyday life and how we work in the UK and across the world. This is true for us here at Fight for Sight and it's also true for our researchers. In fact, a survey of our researchers, which we carried out back in April, found that the pandemic is putting new sight-saving treatments at risk, as social distancing measures have kept researchers out of the labs, and even saw some redeployed to the front line of the NHS. In response, Fight for Sight launched an urgent appeal this summer to help researchers cover the cost of returning to the labs. Our guest on today's programme is Fight for Sight's research fellow, Dr. Zachariah Jarrar from King's College, who fronted that urgent appeal for Fight for Sight. Dr. Jarrar is a clinical research ophthalmologist who was due to begin his research into the role of the gut microbiome in age-related macular degeneration early in the summer. However, instead, COVID-19 saw Zach's research suspended and during the height of the pandemic, he spent two months working in intensive care for the NHS. I chose ophthalmology. I was very interested in that and being dragged away from it to the intensive care unit was quite daunting. Zach has now started his research project, which he hopes will allow for a better understanding of the cause of age-related macular degeneration and allow for the development of new therapies for treating it. I caught up with him over Skype last month as he began working on his PhD from home. Over the course of our conversation, we discussed his research project, how the advent of COVID-19 is changing the research landscape, and what it was like to work on the front lines of fighting COVID. Zach, I guess it's it's been quite a, a strange few months for everybody, but I think especially for you. So before we dive into how the advent of COVID has impacted you and your work. Can I ask you first how you became interested in ophthalmology and why you chose this as your specialism? Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on this podcast. I feel very honoured to to join you here. I guess my interest in ophthalmology really stemmed from my time at medical school, uh, where we had an opportunity to take an intercalated degree uh, to gain some sort of exposure to research. And none of the projects that were on offer really interested me. And I remember we had a a really inspiring lecturer who was involved in the epidemiology of eye disease. So I approached her to inquire about the possibility of arranging a project, uh, which we did. And I started looking at myopia or short-sightedness and how it varies in children of different ethnicities and different factors that influence it. And I found that fascinating. And I was invited uh, later that summer uh, to work on a project to estimate the prevalence, so sort of how common um, and the incidence, sort of how many new cases of age-related macular degeneration prevalence and incidence in the UK and the US. And just for the listeners, uh, the age-related macular degeneration, it's the, the commonest cause of sight loss in the population over the age of 50 um, and in high-income countries. And it's the third commonest cause of sight loss globally, um, according to the World Health Organization. And despite sort of outpatient eye clinic appointments increasing, uh, the NHS still struggles to cope with the demand. So I guess working on these projects kind of really opened my eyes, no pun intended, you know, sort of the severity of eye disease and how it affects people um, on a day-to-day basis. So that kind of motivated me to seek out 
opportunities uh, to learn more about eye diseases. And then early on in the outbreak of, of COVID-19, you found yourself kind of pulled away from ophthalmology and research and into somewhere you'd never been before, the, into the ICU, into the intensive care unit. So can you tell us a bit about what that was like, how you felt in those first few weeks in the intensive care unit? Yeah, as you say, I mean, I, I chose ophthalmology. I was very interested in that and being sort of dragged away from it uh, to the intensive care unit was you know, quite daunting. Um, and I was initially really anxious about working in the intensive care unit, firstly, because I'd never worked from there before, apart from sort of as an ophthalmologist, you occasionally do get called to see uh, patients with eye problems in intensive care. In addition to that, sort of interacting with severely unwell patients, the thought of posing a, a risk to my health and the health of my family sort of really caused me a lot of worry. Also, at the time in the news, there was a lot going about going around about sort of the level of personal protective equipment um, and how adequate that was. So again, that was caused some anxiety as well. And um, the shift pattern as well was very demanding with sort of frequent interchanging between day and night. So there we had three 12 hour days on followed by three days off and then three nights on uh, and then three nights off. And one of the sort of beauties of ophthalmology is that yes, you, occasionally you will get called in the middle of the night to see an emergency, but most of the time you have a good night's sleep. So I hadn't worked a full night shift for, for, for over five years. And I was also worried about how it would affect my training as an ophthalmologist and how it would impact on my research, which I was due to start in, uh, in May. So these were all the concerns that kind of came out from it. But it felt like a privilege, um, on the other hand, to sort of be able to help in this global pandemic and to help save people's lives, essentially. In the run-up to it, we had a uh, induction sessions for intensive care, um, and I felt kind of really out of my depth. I was sort of, but very quickly was able to refresh my knowledge and sort of dig out the knowledge from the archives of uh, medical school and how to assess critically unwell patients. The consultants in the unit were very understanding of our situation and were very supportive, and there was like a real sense of camaraderie in the unit, uh, which was really inspiring. And the generosity of the community and local businesses was overwhelming. So. In the middle of the night or the middle of the day, you could go to the staff room and there would just be so much food, snacks, drinks, even takeaway at sort of like 3 a.m. in the morning. So, you know, we were really well looked after. As I say, it was really a privilege to be able to help out in this in the circumstances. And Zach, you're no longer working in the ICU, are you? So, yes, I w was working there for just under two months and I was allowed to sort of re return to my clinical duties again because lots of clinical work was put on hold academics who were doing research and who were clinically trained were asked uh, put on hold their research uh, to help with the pandemic so after helping out with with the covid uh, pandemic i was able to return uh, to my research but of course there were some difficulties that we faced even until now you know things aren't back to normal in terms of that research before we go into the the challenges that you're facing now going going back to the lab can you tell me a bit about exactly what your research is yeah so we're looking at the role of the gut microbiome and how it influences uh, the development of age-related macular degeneration so at first people may ask sort of how can the gut influence eye disease when you know, your intestines and your eyes are so far apart and they might feel that the idea is very far-fetched but over the last few years as part of my academic clinical fellowship I've been working in the Department of Twin Research and Genetic Epidemiology at King's College London and this is an excellent place sort of to understand the genetic and 
environmental factors that influence disease. And this is because twins share lots of their genetics um, and we try to untangle the underlying causes of disease, particularly when one twin develops the disease and the other doesn't. So one of the key areas of research in the department um, is exploring the role of the, the, the microbiome. So the microbiome really refers to all the bugs that live in and on us. And it's kind of astonishing, if not rather scary, to know that we're outnumbered and there are 10 times as many microbial cells in our bodies than there are kind of native human cells. But thankfully, you know, most of them aren't harmful uh, and we in fact rely on them to do lots of functions such as digesting food, synthesizing vitamins, protecting the immune system and regulating inflammation in the body. The department is headed by Professor Tim Spector, um, who many listeners may know, um, who has a keen interest in the microbiome and he's authored a number of, number of books on the topic and many, many scientific uh, papers exploring the role of the gut microbiome. So as part of the Twins UK study, lots of twins from across the country have come to St Thomas's Hospital for many years um, and they have a series of tests done which includes an eye examination. And part of that is where they get a scan of the macula, which is a small area on the retina at the back of the eye that we depend on for reading, recognizing faces, seeing fine detail and color. And so from the scans that we have of the patients, well, at the moment I'm, as we speak, actually going through these scans, looking for wear and tear changes consistent with macular degeneration. And we've also asked the twins to provide stool samples which will allow us to analyze the composition of their stool, look at which organisms um, are within their stool, and then we can look at what the role of those organisms uh, is and explore all the pathways that they influence and how that may affect disease. How exactly will that research help people with age-related macular degeneration? So we hope that by exploring the role of the, the gut microbiome, in early age-related macular degeneration, we can better understand the underlying pathways that contribute to the development of the disease. And we know that age-related macular degeneration has a strong underlying inflammatory component, but we don't fully understand all the factors at play. One of the largest randomized control trials, which was called the age-related eye disease study, looked at supplementing patients with age-related macular degeneration, supplementing them with antioxidants and vitamins such as vitamin C, vitamin E and zinc um, and among others. And it found that supplementation um, of these vitamins and antioxidants reduced progression of intermediate AMD to late AMD. But the underlying pathways aren't fully understood and this is perhaps where the role of the gut microbiome may be of significance because given the gut microbiome has a, has a strong influence on the immune system. It can affect inflammation. And it, we also know that it's involved in the synthesis and metabolism of vitamins. So perhaps by looking at the gut microbiome, we may be able to unpick some of those pathways and better understand why certain people get the disease and others don't. And will that therefore help in, I guess, preventing somebody getting AMD? Well, ultimately, that's what we strive to achieve, that the microbiome is a relatively kind of new entity that's being being studied. If you look at the number of publications in microbiome over the last 10 years, they've kind of risen exponentially. So yes, ideally, we would want to reach a, a stage where by understanding the pathways, we could perhaps target those pathways and maybe tailor a treatment or modify an individual's microbiome to 
try and reduce the risk of them developing uh, macular degeneration. The pandemic and the lockdown have obviously hugely disrupted your work and your start date for this project. But I suppose in, in terms of the social distancing rules that are now in place, how is that going to affect your work going forward? Yeah, so the, in this post-COVID era, it kind of really does pose a number of challenges um, for researchers like myself. One of the main difficulties is having access to the labs. Universities are kind of under strict instruction to follow a government guidance on social distancing. And many of the labs um, in our unit and many other units in other universities across the country rely on researchers working within close proximity to one another having to implement a timetabling system where uh, only a certain number of people will be in the lab at a certain time makes things a lot more difficult, whether it's discussing ideas and accessing data, which often can only be done on site at universities due to sort of strict confidentiality guidance. But uh, some of the other challenges that we've really been facing are in terms of recruitment, recruiting uh, patients to trials, Lots of participants will be apprehensive about participating in research, um, especially when it involves coming up to a hospital, which they may deem as sort of like a high risk uh, area for contracting COVID. And kind of finally, the other main issue is, is funding, that lots of researchers uh, have had their funding cut uh, by major funding bodies. And you know, it's really great that Fight for Sight is so active in, in running fundraisers to support the researchers for the ultimate benefit of patients and preventing sight loss. You mentioned the difficulties that you're facing in recruitment and, and various other things to do with your project. I suppose what other extra costs are involved in having to maybe have shut down a project right in the middle of it? What kind of expenses are incurred by, by having to just basically drop tools one day? Yeah, there are, there are huge financial implications for uh, researchers um, at this time, uh, particularly those who are working in the labs using live samples. So whether that be a cell culture or they're using uh, frozen samples and often the cell cultures may take months to grow and, and reach a stage where they're ready to be analysed. And having to suddenly drop the research may mean that researchers miss the opportunity to perform the analysis or the studies at the specific time that it's needed and they may well lose um, those samples and have to start again from scratch. That inevitably comes with it a lot of time um, and a lot of financial cost as well. For me, I've just started my PhD. The plan originally was to, to finish it within three years, but due to kind of limits placed on the number of participants who will be able to attend for follow-up scans and for um, eye assessments, the data collection may take a lot longer and it may actually delay uh, the research and the results of the research. And Zach, you have obviously fronted Fight for Sight's urgent appeal to have covered costs of, of getting researchers back to work and back in the lab. People have been hugely generous in donating to that appeal. That must be heartening to see. Yeah, it was. it's really a, an honour to kind of be on the homepage of Fight for Sight, encouraging people to donate and to this uh, noble cause. Really, Fight for Sight have done a, an excellent job in getting this message of how important eye research is out to the public. And really, people have been exceptionally generous during this these testing times where lots of people have been uh, losing their job and unable to work. You know, I hope I can 
deliver on what I've promised uh, during this research time and hopefully contribute to the better understanding of what causes macular degeneration and ultimately one day stop this devastating common sight-threatening disease. That we've talked about issues that individual researchers are facing, but what about the sector as a whole? I mean, even before we ever heard of COVID-19, my research was massively underfunded, and that's only been made worse by the pandemic and by the huge cuts in funding. So in your opinion, I guess, how is this going to affect not just eye research, but the whole field of ophthalmology going forward? One of the things I love about ophthalmology is that you can often look at somebody's eye and directly visualise what the problem is and make a diagnosis, often without the need for kind of other um, scans and interventions. So that vital information that you get during a clinical visit, you're sort of losing that and you're relying on patients to tell you whether or not you know things have got better, worse or stay the same. And I think that can be dangerous and there may be signs that you can see in somebody's eyes that may give you an indication um, of their disease and by catching something early you can prevent worse sight-threatening disease. So I, I worry that by only having uh, telephone consultations that the amount of sight-threatening disease may, may increase and that maybe people during this COVID pandemic may have lost their sight and it may be too late to do anything about is there anything good that's come out of the pandemic in terms of, um, I guess, moving forward in technology or having, I know, there's obviously disadvantage to online appointments, but are there any advantages? So I think, I think there are, yes, that um, a number of units are starting to do, well, or have done for, for, for many years, run virtual clinics where patients attend um, a hospital appointment only to have their scans and essential investigations undertaken and then they'll go home and those images and the results of their test will be available for clinicians to review um, at another time um, and to make a comment on and then arrange appropriate management and follow-up thereafter. So sort of having more virtual uh, clinics is, is beneficial and allows for a greater number of patients to be seen safely. Another benefit that has come out of this whole pandemic is that it's allowed uh, units, ophthalmology units up and down the country to reevaluate the service that they provide um, and to streamline the services. So for certain conditions, telephone consultations may be useful, even video consultations. Say, for example, if somebody has a skin lesion on their eyelid, um, that perhaps can be looked at on a, on a video consultation um, and minimises the risk to patients and doctors um, by avoiding patients coming into the, the hospitals. Finally, Zach, and I know this is a very cruel question given the conversation we've just had about how much your project has been delayed and how slow it's going to be to, to get back up and running fully. But when can we hope to see some results from your research study? <laughs> yeah, that's a, always a difficult question to answer. I mean, we hope, I mean, at the moment I'm looking through over 8,000 scans, looking for changes of macular degeneration. And I think within the next two to three years, as the PhD gets underway, we hope to have some preliminary results that we can publish and we will share those data with Fight for Sight and um, with the greater scientific community as well. You know, we hope uh, that by exploring the role of the gut microbiome that this will help 
better understand AMD and understand the pathways that influence it. And then we can look at targeting those pathways, modifying people's gut microbiome, and ultimately one day tailoring uh, treatment to an individual to reduce their risk of developing AMD. Okay, Zach, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's been great speaking to you. Thank you very much for listening to iResearch Matters and a huge thank you to everyone who has donated or is continuing to donate to our urgent appeal to help researchers like Zach cover the costs in delays to projects and returning to the lab. To learn more about our research or to donate to help fund vital research into eye conditions like age-related macular degeneration, you can visit our website at fightforsight.org.uk. You can also find us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at fightforsightuk.